This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, we are coming to you live from the Big Eye of Kentucky event here in Owensboro, Kentucky. And I couldn't be more grateful for the opportunity that I had to present today and just am thankful for all of the new friends that I have met and been able to connect with old. And y'all are in for a treat. All right, we are up with our first guest, Mr. John Eisen. John, what's going on? Hey, man, how you doing? I am good. Tell everybody a little bit about where you're from and where your agency is. I'm uh, I'm from West Liberty, Kentucky. No one's ever heard of it. Don't worry about that. I've got two offices, one in West Liberty, Kentucky, one in Moorhead, Kentucky. I'm kind of in the eastern part of the state, kind of where the at the edge of the coal fields. So, so are you bordering West Virginia, I assume? Uh, about, uh, about an hour from the okay. West Virginia line. Yeah, absolutely. Got it. I've got good friends that are from down in Logan County, West Virginia, yeah, and I know that, that it's not too far away. They were a basketball powerhouse back in the day. Yeah. I don't know if they still are or not, but I graduated from Parkersburg High in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and we dreaded playing those guys every year. <laughs> Talk a little bit about your agency, man. What do you, what do you guys specialize in? How'd you get into the industry? Uh, I'm a I'm a son of a former agency owner, uh, but I, I took kind of a weird path. I, I actually have a degree in insurance oh. from Eastern Kentucky University. Got out of uh, school there, had worked a few internships with some insurance companies. Then I went off to the big bright lots of Nashville, Tennessee, worked for a couple of insurance companies there. And my mom and dad called me one day and said, no pressure, but if you want to come back now, would be a great time, but no pressure. You don't have to leave. <laughs> I broke up with my girlfriend. Two weeks later, I was back in West Liberty, Kentucky. So uh, I'm a generalist agency. My parents uh, did a good job kind of getting things started about a one-man shop. Worked at for about 25 years. They both retired, went into the uh, retirement stage. I got married to uh, a girl from the big city, brought her to uh, small town life. And, and actually, she became an employee of the agency too. So it was a package deal. There you go. Well, you, you broke up with a girl for the insurance industry yeah. and then you brought one in. Yeah. So. And I was actually the, the, my, my mother-in-law was an underwriter at an insurance company and she recruited me to be uh, her, her daughter's suitor. She liked me so much over the phone. She said, I got a daughter about your age. Why don't you send her an email on this new email thing we got going? So insurance brought us together. So, you know, it's funny, man. I can remember how clunky email was in, 
I didn't have enough hands and feet to figure out how to even log on, let alone <laughs> send something back in those early days. It we was had crazy. A, a couple of computers in my office at the time. This was the mid nineties. And basically we all took turns using those. So I, she'd ask me like, why is there such a delay? And you send me back these emails. I'd go a day or two, not send her back an email. I was like, oh, I was waiting my turn. You yeah. Know so. Well, I mean, in those days too, where if somebody called and you didn't have the call waiting disabled, it'll kick you off. <laughs> That's right. I remember that. So talk about the event, man. What have you, uh, what have you enjoyed about the, the event thus far and what are you looking forward to? Well, I think I've liked uh, your presentation probably the best, but uh, oh, thank you. Uh, Mick uh, Hunt uh, did a fantastic job talking about, uh, you know, kind of redefining uh, agency, uh, you know, being a little bit more deliberate about what measurements uh, you uh, take into consideration to, you know, talking about metrics versus KPI. And I thought that was very interesting that you brought that up and uh, got a lot out of his presentation. But, so talk to me a little bit, because from what I heard, you're you're a multi-generational agency in small town USA. How how applicable is modern technology well, to what you guys are doing? I mean, are you are you adopting things and in putting systems in place or is it still kind of because i've seen both i've yeah. seen i've seen that seen it where they take it and, and push to the next generation then i've seen others that are just kind of we've always been successful doing it this way you know there's no reason for us to change anything and i mean it's easy for me to get up and talk to people about how they need to scale their agency but i'm not from small town kentucky right, right. you know i didn't i didn't inherit or didn't go into an agency that already existed i got to build mine the way that i wanted to so of course i think that's the right way to do it but right. i mean talk a little bit about what that's like in your agency in terms of how you guys are utilizing technology now yeah i was the young guy in the 90s came in with all kinds of ideas came from the company side worked on a computer you know, workstation every day of my life. So I was like, hey, we got to get an agency management system and kind of drug my agency kicking and screaming into it and employees resisted and parents didn't want to write checks, but finally kind of won everybody over. And, uh, and through a lot of reluctance on the part of our employees over the years, we've come to probably embrace a lot more of the technology. And some of those employees had to kind of retire and get out of the way. And mm. some younger people had to come in and they saw the value in it. So basically, you know, uh, we do have a tech stack. We we have an agency management system. We we have some folks that help us with our uh, with automated emails. Uh, we have a vendor that is that uh, helping get uh, automated uh, emails going out to our clients to ask for Google reviews. That's been a big success for us. Uh, you know, everybody, no matter where you are, no matter what your specialty, whether it's commercial, personal, or both. Uh, the size of the agency doesn't matter, but you're right when you said that you need to embrace technology because it can replace or n maybe not have you hire somebody who, uh, uh, you know, you can buy you can buy technology and not hire an employee, or you can replace somebody, for example, that maybe was you know ready to retire or would just leave to go pursue other opportunities. But I've seen firsthand the difference that automation can make. And I'm really excited about continuing to, to bring it into our agency. You know, in the thing is, Mick even mentioned it when he was talking about, you know, the $10 an hour employee, which is probably the $15 an hour employee now, which by the way, is not growing on trees. So it's not even a matter of necessarily replacing somebody or not hiring somebody. It's filling a need that you're going to have that you might not be able to hire for to begin with because of the way the current job market is. I mean, I don't know what it's like here, but down home, people are making almost $20 an hour to flip burgers. Right. I was talking to a guy at McDonald's today. He worked at a federal correctional facility. His son was an uh, EMT, and he said they pay people as much to work here at McDonald's as my son is uh, as being a paramedic. 
And it really stopped me in my tracks. This was on my way to it's the crazy. conference. And I'm yeah. like, wow, you're right. You know, it's really wild. And, and think about, think about um, school teachers and how little they make. I mean, it's, right. I don't know what we're going to do to fix it. I mean, I don't, I'm not somebody who typically gets on a political soapbox and I'm not going to start now, but it's just, it's really, really scary what we're dealing with at this point. But COVID has been a watershed event for age, all agencies, no matter where you're all, where you are. And it's been a watershed event for the embrace of technology and, and then probably more so that some of your clients are embracing technology where they wouldn't have done before. I've had small business owners, even in you know rural America, who are now used to doing things on Zoom, and and they've kind of maybe you know it's it's pushed them ahead ten years because they had to make these adjustments because of COVID. And I think we have to recognize that uh, you know people are embracing this technology, and we need to be I think you know maybe ahead of them, but helping them along and and utilizing this in our our agencies. Yeah, I agree. You know, one of the things I think that was interesting for us, you know, and we do a lot of stuff in technology that I did not talk about today, but one of those things is we do a lot of video proposals and video quoting um, for renewals and things. And what I found during COVID was because a lot of my producers who would normally be out presenting to somebody in person weren't able to get access to them. They were having to meet on Zoom or they were doing a pre-recorded thing. And if they met on Zoom, we would record that as well. But it gave me the opportunity to share that presentation with the service team inside who's never out on the streets with producers. And now all of a sudden they get to see what a producer's promising at the point of sale, you know, and all of that. And I think that it really helped us a lot. I wouldn't say we have an issue culturally with service staff versus producers because that's one of my non-negotiables. We won't have that in my agency. If you can't get along, then you need to, you need to get along, you know? And so, but, but I felt like it was really valuable for us to use because I think that sometimes we don't use account managers as efficiently as we could. Like for me, I always take an account manager with me to a new business appointment or the renewal meetings. And I may even take another producer for many of the reasons we talked about before. The fact I need handlers. Once I start going, they can take notes to make sure that we're hitting on everything that I talk about. But, you know, I think COVID presented an opportunity for a lot of agencies to uh, use it to their benefit if they had some of the basic technology in place that they needed in order to relay the information. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, a hundred percent. In fact, you know, uh, for our agency and for me personally, definitely have seen that video uh, conferencing, the Teams meeting or the Zoom meeting, whatever platform you prefer, uh, has been so beneficial, especially for uh, renewals. Mm. We have used that over and over and over to great success, and I think that really uh, that I feel like it's gonna, it's really a permanent part of now of what we. You know, do and I'm a guy who loves to you know get in front of people. I like to you know get knee to knee or face to face with folks and talk to them. Um, and, and I enjoy that part of the of the business. And I, I really like you know meeting people. But yeah, I think that you know that has just opened up a lot more possibilities. Absolutely. So I want to wrap up, but before I do, I want to ask you. I'm gonna put you on the spot. What is one piece of advice that you would give to somebody? who's newer in the industry or a piece of advice you would give to somebody who is getting ready to go work at a multi-generational agency? Oh, well, I'll say this, that for the new person, 
One of the things that uh, I think you touched on it that is really important is that there are free resources to get uh, information about clients, to find ideal clients. You just have to figure that out. And again, you, you mentioned there was a, a department within the Florida government that allowed you know you to get information. Same thing in Kentucky, the Department of Worker Claims. You can look up free information about employers and get information publicly available information, and it's tremendously valuable. So that don't forget about those. You're trying to find you know resources, but the big thing with the multi generational agency is you make sure that aunt, uncle, mom, dad, whoever it is, puts out in front of the employees that, you know, this person's going to be brought into the organization and they are going to, you know, have to work just as hard as everybody else, but everybody has to kind of understand that, you know, this isn't, you know, um, they're not a joke. They need to be taken seriously and they need to be given a little bit of respect, but they've got to, but tell that young person, they've got to earn that respect. They've got to work twice as hard as uh, everybody else to get that. Absolutely. Dealing with a little bit of that on the home front right now, as a matter of fact. God so, bless you. Absolutely. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you taking time. I don't want to be the guy that gets accused of keeping you out of the service project. No so problem. we're going to go ahead and wrap up, but I really appreciate you coming on. 20,000 agents across the country are going to hear this. So no pressure, man. I think you did great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Hey, everybody. We are back with Tara Purvis, the president and CEO of Big Eye Kentucky, the lady who makes the decisions for the association, which hopefully she doesn't get in trouble for bringing me in. You know, I blame Adam Murphy for that, though. Um, You know, it could be. It's a toss up between Adam Murphy and Adam Sheridan. Oh, apparently I appealed to the Adams of the world. So that's that's good. Definitely the Adams of Kentucky. (laughs) There we go. There we go. So this has been a really cool event. Um, I like the I like the smaller room as opposed to jumping up and having to speak to a bunch of people when you can be more interactive. And I, I think that's one of the things that I appreciated the most about being here outside of the fact that it seems like everybody's shown up with a bottle of bourbon to give me when I came in. I'm going to have to have somebody wheel me to the plane um, if I were to even think about partaking. But uh, turnout seems really good. I mean, we're back to things being somewhat normal now that COVID has seemed to have run its course. You happy with the way the events turned out so far? Absolutely. Well, first of all, Welcome to Kentucky. And, Thank you. Um, with this little southern hospitality, you always leave with bourbon. <laughs> so come back anytime. There we go. So um, we are very happy with the way the event turned out. Now, this is our smaller event of two. Um, our largest one is our annual convention in November. But this um, particular event is a sales leadership conference, and it typically targets the young producer, the principals, and they come from all over the Commonwealth to um, learn more. Yeah, and I mean, I think you have a, a pretty good mix of people in there. I mean, you've got older agency principals, younger agency principals, some from the same family, like Adam Murphy and his dad, um, you know, in account manager. I mean, the, the room was just well represented. I mean, I... I can't believe I didn't mention this when I was speaking, but one of the things that I always pay attention to when I travel is how many ladies there are in the audience. And you had a really, really strong showing from the females in a very male, pale, and stale industry. So kudos to you for that, because that was something that I definitely noticed, and I'm ashamed that I didn't 
point that out because they need to hear that affirmation publicly that people are actually out there paying attention to this stuff to try and help them further their position in the industry when the industry itself doesn't necessarily uh, lend to that. And I can say that because I don't have to be political, but, <laughs> you know. That's right. That's right. Well, we have been blessed with um, a lot of um, female participation. Um, as you know, um, like you said, pale, male, and stale, we are working on that as, um, you know, throughout the United States, we're working on it, but we are working on it on a local level as well. So um, we're very proud. We actually have two um, chairmen um, that will be female in a row, which is um, pretty cool that um, we can say that here in Kentucky. You know, we don't move as fast as the rest of the world. So <laughs> it's kind of nice to um, kind of hang our hat on that. So talk a little bit about the service project, because I think that that's one of the things in, in, you know, there's a lot of agents that listen to this that may or may not be part of their big eye because they just don't understand why they should be. And I understand the lobbying aspect of it. Certainly, we all need representation in Washington. And I know that you were there either last week or the week before. I had a number of my friends that were there at the same time you were. But you guys do so much more than than just that, whether it be education or things you do in the community or whatever else. Talk a little bit about that so that agents can understand why they should be part. Well, first of all, um, to speak to the service project, we have um, we were we're lucky here in Kentucky to have a very engaged emerging leader committee. And um, it was their idea. They came up with um, a way to serve the community that we are physically in here in Owensboro. And um, so they did and decided on a Blessings in a Backpack service project where they're able to um, feed the less fortunate folks here in Davis County and um, the city of Owensboro as well. So we're super excited that we're able to feed 1,200 families, obviously here in the middle of May, we're right on the um, cusp of children getting out of school, so at least we can know that they're getting a nutritious um, you know, meal or two um, on us, and um, it, was, it felt really good to do, and I, I think that all of us pitching in made it go really, really quickly, and it's pretty exciting. The other, part. I gotta tell you, it was like a well-oiled machine because we were out here recording with people, and I just watched cart after cart after cart of fully stuffed backpacks going out. So I can only imagine what it looked like on the other side of the wall that uh, over there. But I gotta believe, you know, everybody pitching in makes it go so much quicker, and you can just do a lot of good in a in a very short period of time. Like that's. That's not a commitment for anybody at all, right? I mean, you were in there for 30 minutes, 45 minutes at the most. Everybody in there gave 30 or 45 minutes of their day. They're going to make somebody's week, month, year maybe, you know, with with what you're able to do for them. And I think that's one of the things that I think um, is really special about the, the different organizations, the big guys across the country. I mean, I've been part of uh, of conferences like this where they're making make-a-wish check celebrations and Worst time ever I had to get up and talk was North Carolina. Aubie Knight had me go in to their Emerging Leaders Conference, and they had just 
like right before I go up, they did the make a wish presentation with the videos and everything. I'm thinking, how in the world do I follow that? Like, it's just absolutely not a dry eye in the house. And I'm thinking this is going to be absolutely terrible for me at this point. But I mean, so many things that we can do. And I think that's one of the things that makes the insurance industry so great is that we do give back. The The independent agent is the pillar of the, so many, so many independent agencies are the pillars of the communities that they operate in. And if you're part of an agency or an agency owner that's not, then you need to fix that because these are the people who buy from us and they're the people that we should be able to give back to. And, you know, we're actively involved in the community. We're in Florida Risk Partners and a lot of my friends are as well. But until you actually see what goes on behind the scenes, there's not really a true appreciation for it. It's not staged. It's not just for an article on the Internet or a magazine or whatever else. These organizations are really driving change both inside and in, inside agencies and inside their communities. Absolutely. And, um, you know, just to see the reaction from everybody in the room was pretty magical. The, um, and I kept hearing, let's do this again. Let's do this at every function. And there is a lot of work that goes into it and a lot of logistics and um, travel and touching of all of the products and things. But... In the end, it was worth every minute, every touch, every, you know, um, sweat, bead of sweat. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I get it. But you did ask earlier about, you know, why should somebody get involved? Why should somebody join? Why should somebody, I mean, you know, um, the big eyes across the country, they're offering so much to propel the independent agent the um, and the independent agency system by with education. They're propelling them with, obviously, advocacy, which you talked about and touched on, but it's so much more. They're getting into the insure tech space. They're getting into hiring and talent recruitment and training, and um, they're helping consult your agencies to be better, and it's just really important to have that in your back pocket it's so important to um, know that there's somebody that you can call and somebody that's been there before. Go to the networking events, talk to your friends, talk to other people that are doing exactly the same thing as you. So, you know, I always tell our agents here in Kentucky that, you know, if you have a pain point, give us a call. I guarantee that we have an answer. And if we don't, we can certainly find out. So I like to be that first call and um, and someone that they can lean on and save money and you know, you know, produce and you guys are good at that. You're, you know, that's all you guys do every day and that's what you should be doing. And then let us handle some of the finicky other things that we can, you know, take the load off. We are a long time. Well, not long time. We've only been in business six years, but very active big eye members of our own right and certainly understand and appreciate that. And I know you're extremely busy, so I'm going to wrap this up and thank you for spending time with us, but also encourage everybody. You may not be an agency in Kentucky and that's okay. You've got a big eye in your state and you should reach out to them and become part of that. Because if you're going to complain about things that are going on in the industry and you're not willing to take the first step to be part of the solution, then you probably should just not be complaining at all. And the big eye would be a great first step for each of you to look into and to take. Thank you very much for having us, and thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it and can't wait to get this out so everybody can hear you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, David. Yes, ma'am. 
We are back with Mr. Adam Sheridan from Somerset, Kentucky. Adam, what's up? Oh, not too much. Just hanging out here on the Ohio River. It is actually a really cool setting. Honestly, I didn't realize we were going to see this. I I grew up. I shouldn't say grow. I keep saying I grow up, and then everybody thinks I grew up in the city that I was living in at the time. I've lived everywhere. But I went to high school in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and the Ohio River goes through there too. And I, I mean, I didn't realize that it was here. And so we already talked about that, but it just yeah, really like we're right up on it. So from an insurance perspective, if that thing floods, you know, we've got some problems for where we're at, but it's been a really cool venue. And, um, you know, how, how do you like the conference so far? Well, I appreciate the uh, the knowledge you and Mick dropped on us. Yeah. I think it's a lot of stuff that everybody either has heard or if they haven't heard, they got uncomfortable and they needed to get uncomfortable. Well, I'll tell you, man, um, this is an interesting thing that you probably don't know, but you are the reason the protege exists. Really? I don't know if you know that uh, or I, not. I do not know that. So I came up with the idea and decided to do it. After I talked to Nick, Nick Ayers had mentioned something, and I guess that you were involved with him and made you look oh, yeah. video yeah. marketing, and yeah. you had competed or did something to earn a scholarship to get into that. And I'm like, right. you know what? I need to do something like that for <laughs> killing awesome. for Small killing commercial, now. and you know, we did, and it's been it's been kind of interesting. I know that it's you, been incredible. I mean, I know I've caught several, most of the first season. I've definitely caught up on. And I know I've this got season's a couple episodes crazy. left on season one, so then I gotta get ready to catch up on season this, two. Be glad you didn't throw your written your hat in the ring this year. Oh, it's, like, I mean, it, this, this they're, one they're hit, bringing it on there. It's it's impressive. Yeah, season two has been a completely different experience for me. Honestly, man, like as I sit there every single week, I I'm at a point where I can't even figure out who I'm pushing through. Like it's been, <laughs> it's really been that good. The stuff that separates the people that are at the top from the people who are sort of middle of the pack. Yeah. It's such a razor thin margin at this point. I'm going to have to figure out something different for next uh next season if I'm going to do one. I'm I'm probably will, but I want to want to change it up just a little bit. But man, these people have it dialed in. The coaches have been good. It was cool this year to take a coach that was on last season and then somebody who who wasn't and pair them up with each other because, you know, having somebody who's actually done it and and went through the process is invaluable to these people. And I think, you know, you remind me a lot of Derek Hayden, the guy that won last year, just in in talking with you, your demeanor is the same. You know, I think you're passively that Midwestern Southern appeal there. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're very quietly aggressive um, to go after new business. That would be my read. And so, you know, I'm just throwing. I'll argue you on that one. I'm just gonna throw. I'm gonna throw it out there, man. I know you had some family stuff you were working on, but your your video is the first one I'm looking for if I do season three of it because yeah. I think it would be. I think you would do a really really good job. But I think that problem we had baby number three on the way. I, I think you did. As far as I know, there's no more babies on the way at that at this time. So <laughs> well, that's what I said. And I have four. So so tell me, uh, like, what do you? Talk a little bit about your agency. I mean, you're are you a producer or your account manager? Explain to me what that is because I think I was a little bit confused as to your role because it sounds like you do a little bit of everything. I mean, it's probably like a lot of small shops. I mean, we're we're small shop, rural Kentucky. I mean, that producer, but at the end of the day, I wear a lot of hats too. I mean, I'm out there vetting our technology vendors, trying to figure out what's the best route to, for us to go. If, if there's marketing done, I'm the one that's doing it, whether it's for the agency as a whole or for myself because at the end of the day, obviously, I want to produce and write more business too. Um, we're, I mean, we're 80% commercial. A lot, again, like a lot of most probably small rural shops, we're a generalist. Good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, we, but you have some niches that you write, right? Right. Yeah, and we we try. We don't 
there's ideas I've taken from this conference to make us try to go deeper in those niches. I uh, will say that. Uh, but that's that's a big thing too. Is we we've got a little bit of niches, but at the same time too, if, if they call, they call in, there's a good chance we're gonna take a swing at it just because that's how we're set up. Well, and I mean that's a lot of what what you see. I mean, I see it all over the country. So many people started out as just generalist agencies. You know, right. who am I to tell them they need to change everything yeah. that they're doing if it's already working? I mean, I've already mentioned it several times just with recording with different people here. I've only known middle market. That's yeah. all I've ever right. done. I walked right. in day one. I'm in middle market. I launched my agency day one. I'm in middle market. And that actually presents a problem because my average revenue per account's too high. And sure. in 2021, yeah. we, we lost a quarter million in revenue because three large service contractors got bought by venture capital and right. I have no defensible position for that. So well, and that's something we've been talking about the last few months too is I mean we are heavy commercial is and it's so should we pivot a little bit and should we try to maybe find some more personal line opportunities to balance that out some. That may be a different conversation in Kentucky. It is not a conversation, not a conversation I want to have in Florida, Florida at I feel all. Like every weekend every week I hear news out of Florida and it's never good news. No, that's what we were talking about earlier. Every every month this year since 2022 started another carrier has gone belly up and I mean my friends that have heavy personal lines books can't write new business because they're too busy reshopping all of the cancellations oh, yeah. to yeah. get them placed it's just absolutely excruciating so you know I, I don't uh, envy them at all right. but you know I do think that it makes sense to backfill and that's where we're at right now I mean auto owners sort of forced my hand to do that when we brought them into the agency. They said, look, we understand you like middle market, but to us, we want twenty five to 100000 in premium, which right. depending on where you're at in the country is middle market. Oh, yeah. I mean, but for Kentucky, us, that's a pretty good middle market. Yeah, yeah, but for us, that's not, you right, know, just right. based off of, of geographic circumstances. And sure. I think that's, that's one of the things that as I talk to people all over the country and the different agencies that are in Killing Commercial, you know, it doesn't matter what what's middle market to me and what's middle market to you. What matters is the fact that if you've got a company that's making that, that's fifty million in sales in manufacturing, it's the same. It's right. the same risk, right. you know, risk yeah. profile. We might have some differences in property, but aside from that, from a comp perspective, from a products perspective, and you need to go in and you need to approach it that way. But you know, I think that the more you can backfill and the more you can lower that average account size to where it's within tolerance, the better off you are because, you know, right now I don't want to have any more business picked off. Man. Yeah. No, you know? no, I totally get that too. Yeah. It, uh, I like the point you brought up earlier too, about making sure, I think you and Mick both mentioned on this about making sure your client or prospect has a website because you don't want to spend that time battling with the underwriters. I had one last week that couldn't understand why demolition in his name wasn't a good idea when all he was doing was tearing out the inside of a home. Yeah, well, hey, gotta, listen, listen, man, demolition in Kentucky that that can go a lot of different ways. Yeah, they think you've got a crane with a wrecking ball and dynamite attached to the end of it. And I Kentucky mean, it might be moonshine and some dynamite. So you know yeah, what's going on with it? No, yeah, no kidding. So, what are your main takeaways? I mean, you're you're looking at maybe dr- deep, diving deeper into some of what you're doing right now. What what are what are the main things you think? You're, give me two things you're going to implement when you get back to your office. I mean, number one, and I've had written out for probably three or four years is onboarding process for new clients. I mean, I've had that process written out. We've looked at a few different things, sending them welcome kits, things like that. And But now it's taking it and putting it into play. I mean, we've got, I think we mentioned earlier, we work with Applied Epic 
right, wrong, or different. It's what we have. We've put a lot of investment into it, so now let's go make it work for us. My friends who use it love it. Yeah. You know, the people who don't love it, it seem to be the people who don't use it or don't use right. it the right way. Yeah. You know, from what I understand, you know, from a from a middle market agency perspective, there is no better. Like, right. That's that is like my buddy Josh Gurley. We've had yeah. him on the podcast a bunch of times. He is an applied epic guru. My yeah. friend Brad Rosenkild from up in Maryland, middle market guy, applied epic guru. They absolutely love it. And I, you know, I do hear a lot of people grumble, but to me, I don't really put much stock in that. Yeah. I'm going to do my own research. We use Hawksoft at the agency, and it served us fine. Don't do a ton of bill agency bill. Yeah. So the accounting piece of it's not that that big of a deal. You know, we moved our premium financing relationship to IPFS back in San Antonio or back in September when I heard them speak. It casts his brain share in San Antonio. And once I found out they had total pay, yeah. all bets were off. Like my revenue is going to probably increase 15, 20% just in excess and surplus lines business right. that we write now because I wouldn't write it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got hammered with a $25,000 chargeback my first year in business. And uh, it'll leave it, sour taste in your mouth for years to come. Yeah. Didn't have it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have the 25 grand. I had to figure that out in a hurry. But uh, that made life a whole lot easier for us. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is I mean, it's, it's CRM. It's right now, it's a hodgepodge of post it notes and Excel spreadsheets and everything else in it works-ish. And I've tried, I me. Mean, I've tried pipe drive. I, I was in the uh, state auto pay setter program when I joined the business. And so we worked on uh, Salesforce for that and really like that. But at the same time too, like you mentioned, you're going to shell out hundreds of thousands of dollars if you actually want to get it to do what you want it to do. So again, for me, it's for our agency, what works best. It's if I can put those processes in place within our management system. And for us, I mean, I, I essentially am the main producer in the agency. So if I we're going to want to bring on more producers. And if we're going to want to bring on more producers, we need to have those processes written out in place and have everything where we want it to be. And right now for us, that's within the management system. And I can tell you, you need to have a CRM because when I talk to producers, producer candidates, that's the first thing they ask me is absolutely what technology do you have? What CRM do you have? And thankfully I have good technology and a good CRM, but that was not a question that I expected to get from people, you know, when I first started talking to them, you know, and there's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's just plug and play. There's, you know, your customizable stuff's a completely different animal. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of Zoho, to be honest with you. I was yeah. going to tell you that. It's relatively cheap. It's as customizable as any of the others. And if you can figure it, you know, if you can figure it out, you're good to go. If you don't have your processes formalized, my advice would be formalize your processes first because it makes the automation so much easier. We were trying yeah. to automate and formalize processes oh, yeah. at the same time. Right. And right. it was a train wreck. But the other thing with Zoho, and I didn't know this, but Salesforce is the number one most used CRM in term the biggest in terms of revenue. But in terms of number of users, Zoho's the biggest CRM in the world. Oh wow. Okay. And most people yeah. don't know that. And because of that, you can actually get developers relatively inexpensively on Fiverr. Yeah. And yeah. if I knew that stuff back then, I may not be on HubSpot now. I may have just stuck with Zoho and outsourced some right. of that. The problem right. that you run into, though, is the is the rabbit holes, man. And if you're responsible for going out and producing, you do not need to be the one that's programming a CRM to do what you want it to do. Uh, and I'll preach on that, too. I mean, I've been in the business now nine years, and I, I was very guilty of that. I came in in 2013, 14. That's when InsureTech, I guess, 1.0 kind of hit the wave. And so as a young agent, I thought, man, if I can just get this one tool, I'll start killing it in the sales <laughs> game. And I got shiny tool syndrome, and I, I wasted time doing that one. I should have just been out producing more. Yeah, it's um, it's a tough balance, man. I've gotten 
now it's a little bit different for me because I listen to all of them because I get a lot of investment opportunities yeah. in insure tech. Oh, yeah. So for me to be able to sit back and listen to the technology and all of that, I can really vet them out with no real intention of bringing them into the agency. I'm actually going to invest money into them, exactly. which probably means I vet them even more than I would if I was bringing them into the agency. But man, just so many different things coming oh, yeah. out left yeah. and right. Like I, I thought Tarmica and Semzi were like the only two commercial raiders. And then I'm at the Hawksoft user group conference last Friday. There's like 10 different guys there that are yeah. all commercial raiders and yeah. I've never even heard of them. And I want to yeah. hear about all of them because you never know who the next, what the next great tool is going to be, not even from an investment standpoint, just from a FOMO standpoint. And that's where things get dangerous is oh, yeah. To find yeah. out one of my friends has something that I don't have, and then I want to have it. You know, I call that the Ryan Hanley syndrome too, because <laughs> Lord knows Hanley. You know, he's the guy. If you want to know about technology, just call him. There's a high likelihood he's used it right. at some oh, point. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I hit him up on the Twitter DMs plenty of times on that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, listen, man, as you get back and you look to formalize onboarding, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I'll share with you the stuff that we do. I'm happy to share with you the templates and the cadence and all of the collateral. The collateral won't really do you any good because it's all <laughs> branded to me, but it might help right. you with your messaging or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. Good deal. Well, any parting words of wisdom before we wrap up? I think you brought up Scott Howe earlier. Just... uh Get your boot, get your butt out behind the desk and go sell some business for that. <laughs> yeah, agency. we're going to use the kid friendly version of Scott Howe, <laughs> which, by the way, doesn't exist in real life. You have it, to no, exactly. Yep. <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to come back and chat with us and appreciate getting to see you. This has been a, a uh, meeting a long time coming. Absolutely. Good times. All right. Thanks, bud. Hey, everybody. We are with Adam Murphy from Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And honestly, probably the reason I'm sitting here right now, because we hooked up at the Keystone Conference. And the next thing I know, I was getting a call from the Big Eye Kentucky about coming to be at this event. And I'm glad he hooked me up, man. A lot of new friends and some old ones that I've gotten to connect with. Why don't you tell everybody kind of what your story is, man? How'd you get into insurance? How'd you get to where you are right now? Give them the 10,000... Hop in my DeLorean, as old Scott Howell would say. Uh, you, you know, nepotism at its, as its finest, right? <laughs> you know, so uh, I'm the son of an uh, independent insurance agency owner, my father, Tim Murphy, who's actually here with me, which is really cool. He's 73 years old, still coming to Big Eye Leadership Conferences. How about that? That is cool. So, uh, yeah, you know, I grew up kind of in and around the business, and I knew I either wanted to go to law school or I wanted to get in the insurance business. And so uh, I think the Lord blessed me and kept me out of, the, out of law school, and here we are. You know, it's funny, man. A lot of people don't know this about me, but I actually was accepted to two or three different law schools and I was running a grocery store at the time mm -hmm. and I ran the numbers and I realized that if I dedicated the time and energy to go to law school versus staying where I was making what I was making, I actually would come out ahead in the long term to stay in the grocery industry. So I never went to law school, thank God. Yeah, you know, I think uh, everybody in their insurance career comes at a crossroads at some point about, is this for me? Is this going to be my really my career or do I need to do something else? And so I, I remember talking to uh, just kind of a, a mentor and somebody I looked up to in the community and showed him our business plan and I was like, man, I really think I want to go to law school. What do you think? And he said, man, I think you need to stay right here in the insurance business. Yeah, he gave you good advice for certain. So you guys generalists, what do you what do you look at? We are. We're generalists. We're a Main Street agency, but uh, always looking to grow. And uh, we, we've been blessed to have a great affiliations with, with uh, partnerships like Big Eye Kentucky and Keystone. I mean, really, the reason we're in Keystone is because of Big Eye Kentucky. And so through, you know, participating in our association has just led, opened so many other doors for us in our career, and uh, we've been able to uh, uh, 
built a, a great agency. Uh, we'd, we'd love to grow it some more, but it's, it's been a great run. Over the last 18 years, my, my father actually was a partner in a kind of a small to medium-sized hometown shop, sold out, went to work for Grange Insurance for five years, and then opened his own shop from scratch. And so I came in 10 months later after we opened the doors, and 18 years later, here we are. So Wow. So he's had that scratch agency for 18 years at this point? or yeah, 55 years old. He put all his chips back on the table and mortgaged his house and said, I'm opening up my own shop. I miss being in the in the community and being a local businessman. And That's the guy I need to be interviewing. He's, he's right in there. Man. <laughs> Holy cow, man. I mean, there is no greater self-belief than at 55 doubling down. That's fantastic. It took some cojones to do that, you know. And so I, I, I respect him greatly for putting that on the table and, and really giving us an, an opportunity to – to build something together and have something as a family. So it's, it's been a labor of love. So what would you say the biggest thing you have learned over the course of your time in the insurance industry has been? What's the biggest lesson you've learned? Honestly, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is respect for entrepreneurship, like what it really takes, the grind to, to take something from a, from a dream and turn it into a reality. And, and really the, the thing that I like the most, uh, I think I, I, brought you a little something or something from a, a client of mine back at home. And I was talking with her yesterday and kind of gave her a hug on the way out the door. And it's just that camaraderie of entrepreneurialism and that entrepreneurial spirit. That's what makes America great. And that's what owning a small business is all about. And so I think that's the thing I've learned the most about is, is respect for other people, no matter what the industry is, that have got the, uh, the guts and the spirit to put it all on the table and start something from scratch. I think for me, one of the biggest things I've learned is that it's okay to be friends with your clients. Yeah. You know, I think that um, a lot of times people don't let that bleed over because they're uh, they're concerned that it could affect the business relationship or the business relationship could affect the friendship. I feel like if you're doing your job, you don't have anything to worry about. And I mean, I look at it, man. I mean, since Grayson was a little kid, when my when my children ask me what I do for a living, I tell them I get paid to make friends, man. That's it. Yeah. I we've traveled with clients, and you know, we've unfortunately been to funerals and weddings and all kinds of other stuff. But I think that's really the coolest thing about what we do is we truly do get paid to just make friends and manage relationships. Certainly, you have to have a fundamental understanding of insurance and what you do. But at the end of the day, the relationship piece is so strong. And I think that that's something that is missing from a lot of other industries and probably because we get residual income and other industries don't, you know, they hit it and quit it. They go out, they write the deal, they're done. And you know, they're on to the next one. But for us, we have to manage that. Like Mick Hunt said, when he was talking earlier, you know, the easiest way to grow your business is to make sure you have a good renewal process that's 100% right because, I mean, if you're losing 20% and only putting 10% on, you've got a, a problem on your hands. And I think that, you know, if you're an effective manager of relationships, then you don't have as much to worry about with that. Let me ask you this, you know, 18 years in Scratch Agency, what is one piece of advice you would give somebody newer? I'm going I'm to do the exact same thing I did to our last guest. Piece of advice for an agent that's new in the industry and a piece of advice for an agent that is getting ready to enter a multi-generational agency. Wow. That's, those are two different, totally di different dynamics. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so I think like if you're going to say like start a scratch agency or just get into it. No, if you were you coming in, if just, you're a new agent coming into the industry, what, what would be a piece of advice? You know, you honestly, have? I really like the story that you told about interviewing di different opportunities. I think, you know, in today's job market, um, all employers are looking for talent. 
And so I think you should be selective. I think you should look for the right opportunity that for someone that's going to train you and develop you and not just flip the, uh, you know, the hourglass on you day one that really wants to make you an integral part of their business and that's willing to train and develop you over time. Uh, and I think that comes with um, a little bit of give and take. I think you as, as a candidate need to be willing to maybe take a little less in terms of monetary value in order to get that training and education. So that would probably be my number one piece of advice is find the right fit, find the person that's willing to take a chance on you and then give it everything you have. Well, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it blew my mind how many agencies had no way to train people. Like a lot, the, the reason I wasn't getting hired wasn't as much me as it was them. They it, Everybody said the same thing. We can bring you in, but we don't really have a, a training program for producers. So it's going to be sink or swim. You got to go figure it out. We just don't feel comfortable with, with bringing somebody in and basically setting them up to fail. And I think that's a, it's really a crazy place to be in, especially with the job market the way it is now. And honestly, with a lot of the different tools that are available, whether it be from third-party vendors or carriers, I mean, it's not hard to get people trained in this day and age. So I would like to think that that's probably not as big of an issue as it was before, but it would be a major red flag. If I'm a new person going in who knows absolutely nothing about the industry, I'm going to be listening very intently as to what that agency is going to do to make sure I get what I need. Yeah, I think, you know, you know, my father will tell the story about, like, when he came in 1975 or whenever it was, like, he said for two years they wouldn't even let him sell a policy. It was all about training and development. Today it's they say hire talent and we'll teach them insurance and they flip the, you know, the hourglass over and say start selling and get on validation program day one. I think that's really tough. So you can find a home that will train you and develop you over the first really probably year or so. Uh, you know, that'd be the, the type of place I'd want to go to work. Yeah, that's why I'm such a big fan of the CIC designation and being able to go out. If you if you want to learn, you know, to me, there isn't really much of a better curriculum you can go through because it's not so, you know, laser focused in terms of coverages and policy language like the CPCU is. Like I think the CPCU is seen as being is, is seen as a very daunting designation even for experienced agents to get. But the CIC is more of a practical, here's what you need to know, here's some tips on how you can use it to sell and all of that. And that's what I did when I got my license. I immediately went out and got my CIC designation so that I had a foundational understanding. And that's what I, I tell everybody. So my piece of advice would be, number one, you have a, need to have a foundational understanding of the product that you're trying to sell. And number two, you need to, you need to work for a firm that has a proven and replicable sales process so that you know you're going through the training to get built up to exactly what every other producer has gone through that's in that organization. And I mean, if you have those two things, the rest of it's on you. You know, the agency's done their part at that point. And I think that's what's so integral about having you come and speak is, you know, I, I think, you know, through my travels, both with Keystone and the Big Eye, you know, I was young agent chairman for Kentucky, and then I was the chairman for the National Emerging Leaders and I really think the key central piece that's missing in so many agencies is that defined uh, sales process that is automated and tracked and quantifiable. Uh, and frankly, you know, for our agency, that's something exactly where we are. We're trying to define that because it doesn't matter who you bring in. If you can't give them, you know, some direction and some guardrails about how to be successful, you know, you're doomed for failure right, right from the start. That, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, I built my agency backwards from the majority of the people that I know. I've only ever done middle market. So when I went in and started my agency, that's immediately what I gravitated toward. And, 
you know, COVID has changed a lot of that stuff. And one thing that happened for us is, you know, I lost a quarter million in revenue in 2021 because three of my big service contractors got bought out by venture capital firms that were coming in buying contractors like people are gobbling up insurance agencies. And I realized pretty quick, holy cow, I need to write some smaller commercial business and start trying to add in personal lines so that we at least have a foundation that can, you know, sort of sit there and churn in the background and just keep spitting money out as long as we're making forward progress. And I found that, you know, it is really not that difficult to teach agencies a sales process. I mean, the the number one thing from COVID that came out of that, that has come out for me is that we launched Killing Commercial and I've seen literally every size, shape of agency across the country and we run them through the same exact model and every single one of them's hitting. I mean, I, I had an account in Ohio last week that wrote an, a, a 300 and some thousand dollar workers comp policy and they're in Ohio. Like, it's no, monopolistic. No, so it's not even it's not even in their state. They were able to leverage technology and some of the stuff that we taught to be able to get the opportunity and then subsequently close the deal. And it's it's just amazing to me that there are so many main street agencies out there that just they want to be able to move not necessarily into a full blown large middle market shop, but they want to start supplementing with some of that twenty five to a hundred thousand in premium, or maybe if they're already there, the hundred to two fifty or whatever. And if you give them the blueprint and you know that that blueprint works, and all they have to do is follow it, you know it's it's been really incredible just to see the agency growth um, during COVID because people were doubling down on things they could do. I mean, I tell the story all the time when I originally launched it. I recorded the first three modules of the digital learning center that we put together. And I'm thinking to myself, I'll get this out. There's so much content in there. There's no way anybody's going to have time to, to watch. Nobody's got time to sit around and watch videos all day. Yeah. Two weeks later, COVID hit and everybody had time to watch videos all day. And now I'm scrambling to add the next couple of modules. And then the whole piece for keeping commercial and everything else, it was absolutely, you know, bonkers, but a lot of agencies, the ones that I feel like set, were, were really interested in setting themselves up for long-term success, rather than complaining about the fact they couldn't meet with people or whatever else, they really doubled down on education. And I saw it across the board, um, you know, with a lot of my friends even that were bringing, you know, br they were bringing people in in the middle of the pandemic because they had the ability to focus on training and developing because they weren't running at the speed that they normally run. And I think that that is going to be really interesting to see how that manifests itself over the course of the next couple of years. Cause I think there's some rock star producers that are just getting their legs under them at this point. You know, I really do think I, I've known so many different agencies at so many different levels, you know, small, medium, large. And, and I really think the key to, to making that transition across the best practices, revenue groups really is the ability to implement processes. It. I, I mean, it really is what it boils down to. And that's, you know, we, Admittedly, we've struggled with some of that, but same uh, every every if somebody tells you they haven't struggled with implementing processes, then you're talking to a liar yeah. because every single one of us has struggled in some way, shape, or form. Some of us more than others, but you know, it's like I talked about just a little bit ago. My issue is it's not that we didn't have processes; they were just in my head, which essentially yeah. is the same as not having processes sure. because nothing was documented. And so we've really made it a conscious effort to build out our knowledge base inside the agency. Um, inside of our CRM, we have the ability to create playbooks now so that everybody that comes on goes through exactly what, what they need to go through for any task. And that's all searchable. So it's, it's become 
a huge undertaking for us, but it's one of those deals where I can in, invest a penny now to save three pennies later kind of a deal. And so, you know, we, we took advantage of some of the downtime to formalize a lot of that. And I really know that we'll, we'll reap the benefits of it. I think I underestimated now, you know, as an agency owner, I've kind of, I've got crossed the gamut. Like when I first started, I was almost working a CSR desk and then I kind of moved into a producer and now I own our agency shop. I, I bought my dad out in 2018 and uh, from a leadership role, when you look back at that, like I never really realized how important those processes and procedures really were to like all things across your you know success across the agency, not just production, but retention of employees, onboarding, you know, d- developing and training the people within your own four walls. I mean, people want that type of structure and, and they want that type of opportunity to learn and grow within your organization. So as we bring on young people, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is. How do we give them a career path? How do we show them a process to, you know, not only be effective at their job, but be efficient at it and then continue to grow educationally and promote them up to the ranks over time? I think that if you're like me, and I'm not going to speak for you, but my natural gravitation was towards I have to produce so I can bring revenue in. When really, if I would have never produced, you know, once I started bringing team members in and I just sat back and strategically managed the business, which that was my skill set before I got into the industry. It's scary to think about where I could be, but you know, we're finally in it. I've been joking about it this year. I told everybody 2022 is it. I'm not producing at all in 2022. Uh, I'm going to be here as a resource. You guys reach out where, you know, I'm going to ride on sales calls. I'm going to make sure processes are formalized and all of that. I've written more business in 2022 now that I'm not a producer <laughs> than I've ever written. And I'm talking about me personally. It's crazy because I've just had these layup referrals hit my desk. And, you know, I've, it, it, I, have to, I have to stay committed to the fact, you know, we, we're going through traction right now. I don't know if you've read that book or not. Fantastic book by Gino Wickman. Um, EOS is the system, the entrepreneurial operating system. Mick is very familiar with it. Um, probably parallels a lot of what Mick does to some degree, but you know, I have to stay committed to that process because the easiest thing in the world for me is to say, eh, I didn't really do anything to prepare for the traction meeting this week. So let's just go ahead and skip it and we'll do it next week. And next thing you know, we're in 2023 and haven't made any progress. So part of the problem is, you know, I'm naturally gravitated towards selling because that's what I like to do, but that's not where I'm most valuable to the agency. And until I can get it through my own thick head that every, it's just going to be a constant struggle for me. You know, something you were talking about earlier in our session was like the power of no, you know, I I think so many agencies that that are in that, uh, the early stages of their career, they don't learn how to say no. They want to say yes and be all things to all people. And I think as you start to learn how to be more selective on things like that, you build processes in place and then you start being selective about, you've kind of flipped the script instead of trying to go out and harvest revenue, you're really interviewing candidates. 100%. It's as much about you making a selection of who you want to do business with and and what your target client needs to be and who you want to, you know, take on as a policyholder. That totally changes the sales process to me when when I walk in with the confidence that, you know, I don't have to write this piece of business in order to pay my bills or put food on the table. Uh, and you can be selective about the clients that you onboard. I think that completely flips the sales process on its head and I think empowers producers to be more successful and feel good about walking away from, from bad opportunities. No, it does. And I mean, you should see the look on people's faces and I'm sure you've seen it before. Cause I tell them in the first meeting, you know, this is as much about me deciding whether or not you're going to be a good fit for our agencies. It is you deciding whether or not our agency is going to be a good fit for you. 
and you know, I, I read something somewhere. I don't remember where I read it, but I do this a hundred percent of the time before I go into a new business appointment. I visualize my conference room with one empty chair at the table and all of the other chairs are populated by my existing book of business. And the question that I'm trying to answer in that new business appointment all the time is, does this person sitting across the table from me deserve that empty seat at the table? Because when we don't stick to that, we diminish our value proposition for every single other client that's in our book of business. Once we take somebody on that is not at the same caliber, we have cheapened ourselves and you end up losing really good accounts that way. You know what? It's okay. Not everybody deserves a seat at the table, and that's fine. There are plenty of insurance whores that are going to sell them a policy <laughs> out there that you know doesn't don't have any value at all, and that's probably where they belong. So, you know, I think that's really one of the things that I would tell any young agent is you know make sure that you're <clears throat> paying attention to who your ideal prospect is that you've defined that. And then just don't deviate from it. You know, if you're working at a shop that's big enough, there's always going to be somebody that you can refer that to because you have four or five producers and yet each one of them has three to five classes they're going after. You don't really need much more than that. You're going to find, you're going to find the right home for it. And, and, you know, for us, there's so much excess and surplus lines business and everything available to us in Florida. I just don't want anything to do with it because – it's a nightmare to manage. A, I don't want anything to do with agency bill, but B, just the whole process of everything you have to do to get that placed and bound and the subjectivities turned in and all of that. It's a drain when I can just go online and quote. I mean, we're, we quote our middle market accounts online just like you do small business and we don't lose a, we don't lose a beat doing it. So before I let you go, piece of advice for a new agent, an agent that is getting ready to enter their family's multi-generational agency, and then I'll let you off the hook. Wow. Um, you know, when I, when I first started, um, we had a, a gentleman uh, by the name of Bill Kearney who just passed away last year. And so he was, uh, uh, he was I think, 70 when I started, and he, he worked until he was like 86 years old. And I could hear him like in his 80s back there cold calling, you know, and it was like, man, if, if he can do it, I can do it. So – you know, I think the, the thing I would say about entering a multi-generational agency is, you know, uh, don't be afraid to learn from others, respect your elders, and everybody's got something to offer. And so, uh, you know, the, the times that I spent with, uh, with Bill uh, as a mentor to me, the garage conversations that I've had with my dad, you know, I mean, you're going to have, there's going to be a tug of war on somebody that's in their 20s, 30s, or 40s versus somebody that may, may be currently at the head of the table but learn, learn from them. Uh, take those things with a grain of salt. And when you're, when the opportunity comes for you to be the leader of the organization, uh, you know, take those lessons with you, and and don't repeat the same mistakes that maybe the people that came in front of you did. Yeah, I think that we get so worried about pushing our own agenda that we don't realize that we're the new person, right? And I think that. Um, you know, we, we demand respect. We want our voice to be heard, but we don't want to listen either. And that's both sides of it. And that's what I say all the time. As much as the older generation doesn't want to listen to the newer generation, the newer generation really doesn't want to listen to the older generation, which is kind of idiotic considering the fact in many cases they built a multi-million dollar business, sure. you know, with their bare hands from scratch. So probably worth listening. <laughs> they can't do everything wrong. 
But at the same point, as technology changes and things progress, you know, that old guard has to collaborate, listen to the new generation because they have to understand this is who they're going to be selling to down the road. And they need to be able to communicate in that language. You know, if you walk into an environment like that, I think a question you should be asking yourself is where can I provide value today? Yep. You know, what, what can I do today to, to move things forward and make things better for, for others? And I think if you go into it with that, that attitude, it's not about me, me, me all the time. If you're looking to serve others and help move the organization forward, the rest of it will work out over time. And, and you know, I think about that sometimes with my competitors that are maybe older or more senior or have some accounts that I want to have. I know I'm going to outlast them, right? There's going to be a day. They're close to retirement than I am. So, you know, it's kind of the same thing goes with a multi-generational agency. If you're walking into that, you know, be humble, uh, walk into it with a, a servant's heart and, and look to what, I, what can I do to provide value today? And then your turn at the leadership table will come. People, if he was allowed to, he could have dropped the mic right there. Adam Murphy from Hopkinsville, Kentucky, just told you exactly what you need to do to be successful in business, period. And that is figure out where you can add value immediately. Adam, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate you being on the show and look forward to airing this out. Much continued success to you, brother. Thanks, man. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.